Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice Podcast. My name is Richard Brown, and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, this week, and indeed for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be joined in conversation uh, with one of my Property Voice friends, Rupal Patel, as we sit together and we talk about some things that we're kind of passionate about, I suppose. So we, we spent the morning together in a very nice place. It was Reading Lido, actually. It's a restored Victorian Lido, which is now a spa and a coffee shop. And we just decided to talk about a few things that we were you know, interested in and care about. And hopefully, that are very you know, useful and relevant for you to, to hear as well. So this week, we're going to talk about the sort of advice that we might give to our younger selves. So kind of framed it in as a, as a video, if you wish to see it on YouTube, it's obviously going to come up in the audio in a second. But we were talking about somewhere in the age group 18 to 21, but I guess these days you could stretch that maybe to 25. Um, <laughs> it depends. But you know what, what sort of advice might we give our younger selves? And obviously, we talk about property, but we talk about more general financial principles as well. So I'm looking forward to your reaction, actually, to this conversation. It's the first one in a series, I think about five, a mini-series. We've kind of labeled it to, uh, 2SB. And um, yeah, listen carefully as RuPaul explains what that means. I'll just leave it on that little cliffhanger. And let's hear what we have to say right now. RuPaul, hi. Hello, Richard. How are you doing? Good, really, good, really good. great. I'm just going to address people who are watching this and we can maybe have a focus because um, it's Richard Brown, obviously. You may know me as a property voice and I'm being joined by the delightful RuPaul Patel. RuPaul. Hello, everyone. Do you just want to give a little intro maybe? Yeah, so RuPaul Patel, uh, director of Blue Infinity Property and founder of Entrepreneura. Yeah, that sounds exciting. I'm sure we'll get into that at some yeah, point. Yeah, we will. So, we we just uh, we've connected a little bit, haven't we, over we the have. past few months? Yep. And we thought, why don't we just do do some video yep. shoots and some Definitely. topics? So, I think uh, what we plan to do in this first uh, first one of the series is talk about what we might tell uh, or what advice we might give to our younger selves, maybe yep. if we're 18 or 21 years old, that yep. sort of age group, right? Yep. I remember actually when I first talked to you on our, on our podcast, you actually talked a little bit about this topic, didn't you? Yeah, so, definitely. Um, where do you think you, you know, where should we start with this topic of Gosh. conversation? Oh, there's, there's, there are so many things I wish my younger self knew or had realized. Um, I think the one of the big ones that keeps coming up again at every stage in life um, and one of the things that I was lucky at that time in my life to have just happened naturally is being very conscious of the people you let into your life. Um, there's, you know, a saying some people have heard and I think of all the time about, you know, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And so often what happens, especially when you're young, you just sort of those five people who you spend the most time with you're not very particular or choosy about it. It just sort of, you know, mates that you play sports with or, you know, people you get on with while at school, but you're not really thinking about the bigger picture and the influence they have on your life. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I've gotten lucky that the people that I've always had the most time with have generally, with some exceptions, um, especially as, you know, a young child and teen have been pretty good influences. But I also know that when I had spent more time with the quote unquote bad influences, I did some pretty stupid things. Yeah. And so I think, 
yeah, just being thoughtful about the people we're spending time with is a big, big one for me. Yeah, so the peers, if you like, or yeah. the people we hang out with, that can be a really good in, uh, good influence or not so good influence, yeah, depending. definitely. So, I'm just thinking, when I was 18 to 21, <laughs> that sort of age, that was kind of a, an age of like further education. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that com comes into my mind is uh, to get what I would call more like a real life education. Yes, so, you know, definitely. not just, you know, go through <clears throat> the formal academic system and maybe start to get, because we, we, we come from like property and investing yeah. and that sort of thing. That's a, our backdrop, so I guess. So, yep. um, in terms of financial education, yeah. was there any financial education at school or in college? Or oh anything? my God, no, never. And it's one of the life skills that I think is just, it's criminal that we don't teach it more formally in schools. I especially starting from school age, because yeah. all of the, you know, we have this weird stigma in the US and the UK around maths. And people think that math is scary or it's somehow unapproachable or it's sort of beyond mere mortals, but it's not. And, you know, basic arithmetic and just being comfortable with numbers is a life skill. And I think we have a lot of work to do to make people see the relevance of what we're doing um, because math and money dictates so much of our lives and we need to be well informed about how it works uh, and feel comfortable with it um, in order to you know make the most of what we've got and what we do with what we've got yeah i mean so surely the government's going to look after our best interests and yeah, you know, obviously. big financial institutions <laughs> they're all, they're yeah we know how that best. goes yeah, yeah. yeah exactly Definitely. so i think um so where i'm going with that really is you know it's, it's the responsibilities on us, us. yeah and definitely so, and our parents if we're lucky enough to have you know yeah. parents who are switched on so yeah we can we can input into our children mm -hmm. you know sound financial management principles yeah. for example yeah and if we don't have that backdrop i didn't really have a strong backdrop in financial education at home or yep. at, uh, through the academic system, yep. we can get ourselves educated, can't we? Yeah. We, can, um, we can read some books, yeah. we can hang out with some people who know this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, actually, just thinking about, I was just thinking about books, maybe we'll talk about books in another sure. episode specifically, yeah. but one that was coming to my mind, maybe you've got some in yours, but hmm. uh, there's two great books I would always suggest to people reading this sort of topic mm. one is rich dad poor dad yep classic it's classic. really good and there's one for teens as well by the way ah yeah. okay and then the other one is the richest man in babylon yes yeah? yes yep yeah i may have stolen, stolen your book no you haven't there, no you haven't and i'm sorry the reason i got so excited about both of those is because my dad as i said i was very lucky that both of my parents were very switched on and self-taught but switched on about money and investing and saving and all yeah. that and a lot of it, what I learned was just by observing what they did, yeah. but some of it was through the conversations we had <clears throat> and with my dad in particular. He's a reader, I'm a reader, um, and those two books were two books that he actually gifted me when I was 18. Um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I read at the time and I was like, I have no idea how this applies <laughs> to me. Um, and similarly with uh, The Richest Man in Babylon, but then having revisited them a few years later, I realized how they're just so, as with most really powerful things in life. They're so elegant in their simplicity. Um, and anybody who wants to get smart about money in a very easily digestible way, I think those two books are fantastic. Um, another one that I just recently came across is uh, by a woman called Lois Frankel called uh, Nice Girls Don't Get Rich. Um, and it's sort of, you know, using the word nice girls in quotes. But uh -huh. the idea is that for a lot of women in particular, sort of being financially independent is not something that is always um, a, a reality. You know, a lot of women end up leaving their careers or, or when they have kids or following their husband's career. And it's sort of there are a lot of things across uh, 
you know, over a lifetime that interrupt their wealth building and their uh, and their income generation. And some the tips that she gives in this book are fantastic because it applies to every woman in every scenario, whether you're working, whether you're not. Um, but it's some really great, easy to implement and easy to understand um, tips and ideas about how to to get rich in whatever way you know that that, that means, means to you yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think some of it is also just, well, what should be common sense. The biggest one is live below your means. You know, again, especially as, you know, sort of in those 18 to sort of late teens, early 20s, that's when we all generally get the first taste of money, of, of earning something, you know, income from a job. And what so many people do is just live paycheck to paycheck. They splash out on the most expensive apartment they can afford or, um, you know, cars or clothes or holidays. And it's exciting. You've got, you know, money coming in for the first time you're your own person. But the key is to make sure that you're not ever spending, more, well, definitely not more than you earn yeah. um, and going into credit card debt and that kind of stuff, but also just being very careful about living below your means so you're not um, setting yourself up for failure for the long term. So I agree with you. So live live below your means. So, mm -hmm. but it, I think aligned to that really is to save, isn't it? Definitely. You know, so Definitely. set aside. You, I remember when we spoke the first yep. time. Um, you were kind of encouraged strongly, if I remember. Yes, basically say. forcibly <laughs> encouraged. Uh, so the way the rules in our household was that whenever you got your first paycheck um, at every job, half of it went to well after you cover your expenses. The remaining half, half went or of the remaining half went to charity, and the. Um, uh, other your pension or your retirement uh -huh. and we were also encouraged to uh, contribute the most that you possibly could contribute to your retirement fund whether it was through your, your workplace pension or through you know sort of a private pension um, to invest for your future because that was just the rule you yeah. know and, and my first job I had at 16 I was gonna say, when was that? it was 16 and I remember coming home and I think it was like 200 $50, which was a fortune at that time. Um, they took half away, right? Basically. <laughs> and, and, you know, it was sort of really annoying and frustrating at the time. And I was like, what the hell does my dad think he's doing? This is my money. Um, <laughs> but it was a great habit to instill from that time because it then just became a habit. It just became the way things work. Yeah. And, and to be honest, if you, when you don't see the money, you don't really feel, feel it sort of not being there. So the great thing about, you know, sort of pensions and saving these days is that you can automate it, you know, yeah. and set up direct debits or transfers or whatever it is so that you don't even see the money before it's sort of taken away and being saved for you, which I think is a really important thing for most people is like we're, you know, ingrained to just burn through whatever we get. So um, if you're not going to be disciplined enough to do it yourself and save yourself, just make it automated, set it up in yeah. your banker with, you know, your pension or whatever it is. Yeah, so I think, I think you know, so living within your means, yep. saving some money. Yep. Uh, and it's what you do with that savings mm -hmm. as well, I think, is important. So, but the, the most important thing, I, I guess, if I, I didn't do this, you see, you did do it yeah. and maybe it was instilled upon you. Yeah. But I didn't do it when I was that sort of age. But one of, one of the best pieces of advice I think I could give anyone at that sort of age group is to start now. Yeah, start 100%. Then. Because as Warren Buffett says, it's yeah. not timing the market. Yeah. It's time in the market. Totally that agree. Counts. So um, if I'd have started investing, investing, mm -hmm. we're talking about saving, what yeah. can you do with your savings? Yeah. Well, you can save it. You may get a modest interest rate, let's yeah. say. But if you start to invest it, yeah. maybe you can get a, a better return and yeah. you even start talking about these things called leverage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we yeah. can actually grow our money into something else. And that's the beauty of the richest man in Babylon. It's a very simple principle: the idea of having your money 
work harder and multiply for you. Sort of, I think that the, the metaphor he uses is having your children and your children's children make more children, you know, the money just sort of multiplying in the way you invest it. Um, and it's exactly right. It's, you know, it's not enough to just save. You're not going to build independence and wealth by just saving. It has to be invested and thoughtfully and carefully sort of um, taken care of as, yeah. you know, all important things in our lives are, you, yeah. whether it's your health or your, your financial wealth, you know, you have to invest time, effort um, in taking care of it. So there's this thing I just touched on a little bit with mm. the word um, leverage, really. Yeah. And so, um, you know, what, is, what does it mean? I mean, for me, I'm just going to give my own definition. Yeah, sure. Pick up, but leverage for me means using other people's money to mm -hmm. make your money go further. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so you talked about a pension, for example. Yep. So if you are fortunate enough to have a company pension scheme, for yep. instance, your employer's putting money in to yeah. your pension. Maybe you're putting money into yeah. your pension. Yeah. And that can multiply because of the two contributions instead yep. of one. That's simple leverage, right? Exactly. You've and probably got other examples. Well, the beauty of leverage like that, too, is sort of tying that into something you said earlier about starting as soon as possible. There's leverage and then there's compounding, right? So when you're young or whatever point you start, you know, start now, basically, if you haven't done it already. But the longer you have in the market, there's this thing called compounding where, you know, money invested, let's say it's earning 5%, that $100 in a year earning 5% becomes 105. And then that $105 is earning another 5%, which becomes 110 and 110.25 <laughs> in the next year, you know? And, and that's the thing. That's the beauty of compounding is that you, the same amount of money invested over time grows yeah. because it's the, 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 the amount that um, you've got because of interest rates and other things yeah. just is growing naturally and, and compounds and gets bigger and bigger and bigger without you really having to mess around with it. So when you're leveraging other people's money, let's say in this pension example, um, most, most employers will contribute some amount and that amount, however it is invested, is going to compound over time as well. So you're making money from somebody else's fr effectively sort of free money. Yeah. Um, and it's growing at a faster rate because of compounding. So it's almost a no-brainer to yeah. not invest in like a pension scheme or something that, you know, you're getting benefits from. But I guess, you know, I'm thinking to myself, if you're 18 or 21, you, you're going to be really switched on by the idea of a pension, you know, sometime in the future that you can't even speculate yeah. 60, 70, 80, you know, years. I think that's the thing is that probably not, yeah. but that's what separates the people who become financially independent uh -huh. from the people who don't. And I yeah. think the thing, the problem isn't in the knowing, it's in the doing, right? So it all, all of this sounds like great ideas yeah. and all of this is proven to work. And if you look, if Warren Buffett is saying something, I mean, it's almost a no brainer. The guy clearly knows what he's doing around wealth and saving and investing in things yeah. um, but most humans don't learn from other people no. if they're anything like me you learn from your own mistakes yeah. and then try to sort of catch up but you make an interesting point there I mean perhaps I'll come back to the leverage point in a second hmm. but um, the point about um, take, where you take your advice so yeah. if for example you want to be in the top 1% mm -hmm. of the population I did talk about this recently about yeah. how much wealth you need to be <clears> in the top 1% I don't know if you know the figure I don't okay so in the UK yeah. on average the top 1% is a net worth of 3.2 million okay. to get into that yep. club. Yep. So the point is, there's 99% who not haven't got that kind of wealth. Of course, yeah. So if you want to be in the 1%, who do you listen to? The 99% mm -hmm. or the 1%? Yep. So I think it's the idea of you know getting the advice in the right quarters. Yes, The guy definitely. down the pub can give you advice, but... He's not in, qualified. Are, you know, <laughs> do you want to be in that place? You know, yeah. So, so anyway, I just drifted off into that. Sorry, but um, just to go back to my thinking about leverage. So we've got 
pension funds where mm-hmm. we've got companies putting in contributions. Mm-hmm. We've also got the tax man yep. that can he can make a contribution in certain investments, a pensions one, and mm-hmm. ISA is another one, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. That's free money. Yep. Um, so you should take that, yep. I, I believe. And then the third one, I think we can probably talk about quite a lot in um, in our circles, mm-hmm. is like with mortgages yep. and what I call good debt. Yeah. Yep. So I don't know, maybe you want to pick up on that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so I guess the idea is, again, something I wish my younger self uh, or most of, you know, all younger mm-hmm. selves would sort of be able to appreciate is the difference between good and bad debt. Bad debt is just debt for debt's sake, right? So it's sort of, you know, buying something you can't afford and putting it on a credit card that is then accruing interest at 25 to sometimes, you know, 80%. I mean, crazy rates, right? And that's compounding working against you. Exactly. Yeah. And that's compounding definitely sort of keeping you stuck. Yeah. Uh, and that is bad debt. Anything that is not creating productive assets or income for you. Yeah. Whereas good debt is borrowing from, for example, a lender who uh, you know, is giving you money so you can you know, buy a property that is then going to generate an income for you over time. Mm-hmm. And that sort of debt is productive debt because yeah. it's creating, it's buying an asset that will probably increase in value over time, but also in the meantime is bringing in income. So it's not taking, again, this is sort of the simplicity of the rich dad, poor dad. Think of assets as anything that bring income in and liabilities as anything that cost money and take money out. Um, And obviously all of this is going to differ based on your personal circumstances. And obviously neither one of us is an IFA or qualified to give sort of, you know, specific advice yet. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Definitely not. But um, the idea is to just, again, be thoughtful about the type of debt you're going into and is it productive? And is it bringing an income or is it another liability? Absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. And I met a, I met a, a young man. I call him that. A young man. He's okay. 19 years old. Yeah. Uh, last Friday. And um, he's active in property. Yeah. And um, so he's 19. He's also got himself a mentor. Okay. Um, who's helping him, mm-hmm. giving him advice okay. and guidance. Yeah. What do you think about that concept? Uh, so I think, I believe very strongly that to get to the, top of your personal game, whether that's in physical performance, mental performance, business performance, everybody could benefit from a good mentor or coach. And this goes back to sort of the idea that you raised earlier about be careful where you get your advice from. You shouldn't be getting mentoring from someone who's never invested in property just because they're successful, right? So the idea is to get qualified advice from qualified people. So if you want to invest in property, talk to people who have successfully invested in property. If you want to invest in the stock market, talk to people who've successfully invested in the stock market and who can show you how they've been successful at it. And it's not just, you know, them sort of advertising oh, I'm an expert, I'm an expert, but their own bank balances can prove that they are sort of, you know, walking the talk and doing well with their own advice. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, again, no one would expect... Look, Andy Murray would not have won any Olympic championships if Yvonne Lendl wasn't there to help him. A lot of Olympic athletes or, you know, the sports analogies I love because... They're so, so applicable. Relate, can't we? Yeah, and I think for whatever reason, people think it's fine to have a coach to help you get to the top of your sporting game. But for whatever reason in business, it's almost seen as a taboo. Like it's like, oh, why would you get a coach or a mentor? But if it's the right coach or mentor, they will help you both unlock your own potential, but then also help you shortcut some of the the, the hurdles and the 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 issues that you'll face along the way. And so accelerate your journey. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And accelerate, you know, can mean instead of it taking you 10 years, it only takes you eight years, right? We're not talking about fast tracking or sort of get 
quick, rich, rich quick, yeah, yeah. but it's the idea that someone who's qualified, who's been in the trenches before in that industry, knows things in and out and has a track record of success, can then help identify sort of the things that they got wrong and keep you from making those same yeah. mistakes. There was, a, there was a Business Insider uh, article I read some time ago, and okay. it talked about the idea of mentors. And I think the, they, were, they researched CEOs yep. of uh, top companies. I don't know if you saw this piece of no. research. But you probably don't know what I'm going to say. But yep. basically, I think the idea was um, 28%. This is a statistic, so I might be slightly off. Yep. Um, I haven't got it in front of me. I think 28% of CEOs yep. said they use a mentor, yeah. which was actually quite a small percentage. Yep. But of those who did, mm -hmm. I think it was something like 95%. It was a really high number. So, yep. you know, I'm guessing it's, it's certainly a very high number. Yep. Attributed a large part of their success to their mentors. Yeah. Yep. So I think what that tells me is it's maybe not for everybody. Yeah. And maybe if you're a CEO, you maybe think you don't need help. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. so... Uh, Maybe it's not for everyone, yeah. but for those who it is for, it makes a world of difference. Definitely. And I think, again, this gets back to the idea we talked about earlier on about the, the five people you spend the most time with. If that person is a mentor who is you know, helping you bring out the best in your personal performance, business performance, et cetera, you choose that mentor very, very carefully. Because yeah. if you are spending any meaningful amount of time with them, as you probably will yeah. in the relationship, then they can be a huge, huge asset. But it's making sure that you're choosing wisely and you're not um, just sort of getting it for mentorship's sake. And, you know, sort of, I, I don't have statistics to back this up, but from anecdotal conversations that I've had with people who are founders of property businesses or other businesses, you know, they all have have had some degree of formal or informal mentoring, coaching, whatever you want to call it. They're slightly different, but often blend. Um, it makes a world of a difference. It really does. But it has to be the right person. And you have to have the humility and the openness to be willing to take on board, you know, some tough lessons, yeah. some tough feedback, and be willing to take that and, and, and go with it. Well, I'm glad you talked about <clears throat> humility, because that's an example of a good value that we yeah. can have. Um, I'm just giving us giving a signal that maybe we're running a little bit short on sure. time, Rupal, which is yeah. unusual for you and me. I right? know, gosh, we have nothing to say to each no. other. <laughs> so I just probably, I don't know if you've got a, pass, a parting thought. Yeah. I'll let you think about that. Mm. But my parting thought probably would be, one of my favorite quotations comes from a gentleman called Charlie Tremendous Jones. Oh, wow, yeah. that's Charlie a name. Tremendous Jones. What a name, yeah. what a name. Charlie Tremendous Jones, who said, the, you'll be the same person as you are in five years, mm -hmm. apart from the books that you read and the people that you meet. Ooh. Now, I could probably, you, in the modern day language, he said this a while ago, yeah. modern day language, that probably means, you know, networks, yeah. the people that you sure. meet. And then books probably means all sorts of learning resources. Yeah. But I think that's probably going to be my parting thought. I love that. If you want to be different to how you are today, yeah. maybe in five years, get in the right company and consume the right information. That's probably my part. Cool. What about yours? Um, I've got one that speaks a lot to me, is choose your goals, not by what you will accomplish, but by who you will become along the way. So it's all about being very thoughtful about what skills will you have to develop, what um, what sort of personal and um, internal hurdles will you have to overcome to meet those goals, targets, whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. But it's not about the result. It's about who you become along the way. It is about the journey and yeah. who you become. I agree with you. So I'm just going to maybe close sure. there. What did we say we're going to call these uh, little chats? Two smart buddies. Two smart buddies. <laughs> that's, uh, that's two smart buddies who yeah. are talking maybe a little bit longer than we planned to, yeah. but hopefully that's good content for you all. Yeah. And uh, thanks, Rupa, for joining me. It's a pleasure Maybe to be we'll here. We'll have another conversation in a minute. Who Sounds knows? great. All right. Looking forward to me it. Too.
Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation that RuPaul and I had. I um, hope so, because we've got another couple to follow in the next couple of weeks. So it was unscripted. We decided to pick a theme and just talk to one another. So it's a very natural conversation um, that we had together. Hopefully that came over really well for you. And uh, next week, we've got another theme coming up. So yeah, listen out for that. But um, I guess all that remains is, or oh, just one other point, I'm, I'm going to try and get subtitles for the video. So on day of release, I can't promise that they're going to be available. Um, but I'm going to try and get organized pretty quickly. So um, there'll be a transcription, uh, a subtitles transcription available on the video, hopefully, if I can get the technology worked out. I'm just trying to apply the compound effect with these uh, video shares, as you hopefully will see. So whether you're listening on the podcast and audio only, or if indeed you have tuned in on our YouTube channel or on the uh, blog post where you can see a video transcription, I hope you enjoyed that. You won't hear this bit in that particular part, but anyway, Richard, shut up. All that remains for me to say this week is thanks very much for listening. If you'd like to talk about anything from today's show uh, or indeed anything uh, to do with property investing more generally, you know you can always email me, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, and I'd be very happy to hear from you. And indeed, so would Rupal. So by all means, reach out to me and I'll forward on any correspondence that's aimed at Rupal personally uh, so that uh, you can connect with her directly too. And I'll try and put a link in the show notes to her contact details so you don't even have to do that. But I guess all that remains is thanks very much for listening. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.